This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Flair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Episode 7 of A Kick in the Grass and Liverpool are finally Premier League champions. How they came to be champions of Europe, the world, and now England. We will dive into that. Dan Riccio with special guest co-host Alex Sixero again today in for Jeff Flair. And joining us for special guest interviews, MLS Coaches Week. We'll have TFC's Greg Vanny on their preparations for MLS's back, as well as Vancouver's Mark DeSantos. Alex, what's going on? Dan, I'm good here in uh, Toronto. Thanks for having me back on. Enjoyed the show last week. It's going to be a good one this week. Soccer is uh, has returned. Liverpool are champions. And uh, this tournament's going to kick off in uh, about, a, about a week or so. So it's a lot to talk about. It's a good time to talk soccer. Yeah, always. And uh, there's there's just been so much going on. I can't even keep up with all the games that are, are coming at you every single day and all the different storylines. But we knew this was coming. Liverpool, finally Premier League champs. Uh, yeah, I know that Liverpool fans are kind of debating, uh, would did they want to win it on their own or, you know, having to watch another team, you know, do it for them as Chelsea beat Manchester City um, a few days ago. It doesn't really matter. Like, they were so far and away the best team uh, in England this year, as we know by the standings. And really, like, if you look at it, any other team would have been Premier League champs back-to-back with the numbers that they've put up over the last two seasons. I mean, this is truly one of uh, the great stretches we've seen of any soccer club over the last couple of years. Yeah, there's there's no need for an asterisk beside uh, their title here, which is a phrase I've still heard over the last couple of days, and I can't quite understand why there would be an asterisk to this Premier League title, one of the most dominant Premier League seasons we have seen. And it's just, you know, like you said, 90 plus points last year, they miss out by one and they were able to pretty much elevate their game, whereas the teams around them weren't weren't able to. And, you know, they got to a Champions League final under Klopp and they lost. I mean, in, in a game against Real Madrid a couple of years ago that I don't think many people thought they were going to, to, to win. They didn't. Um, but they bounced back after a Champions League loss. And what did they do the next year? They won the Champions League and they bounced back from losing, you know, the, the league title by one point to Manchester City. And they come back and they don't really make any buys. It's pretty much the exact same team. I mean, there's no reason why you would have to go get anyone. They, they were, they're so good and they're still so good. But after losing and getting so close, they come back and they, you know, they rip through the league. You know, they win the title with seven games to go is something we just don't see. So it was a long 30-year wait. I know they've won a lot in between different trophies, but uh, to be league champs for the first time in 30 years. I mean, Klopp was already such a god uh, in the red half of Merseyside. And now that, you know, they won a Champions League and a title under him, it's just going to elevate his status that much more. Yeah, and uh, it's it's it was kind of I, I shed like one single solitary tear because I can't make the the Steven Gerrard slip joke anymore. Um, you know, it's just <laughs> there's there's you been your so for the show. We, we got <laughs> really already. Uh, it's just um, you know th- there has been so many close calls, right? We think of that year, 2013, 2014. Uh, you think of 2009 as well, but you know, there's been a lot of close misses and 
to think that they've gone this long without a title is is kind of crazy given the club's history. Uh, but you think back and and I, and I wonder if I'm making too much of this correlation. But I think when Sir Alex Ferguson won his first title with Manchester United, uh, they had been on a 26 year drought or so, and we know mm-hmm. that they went on to win what 13 Premier League trophies uh, with with Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, Jurgen Klopp kind of has that feel to him where he is so like he feels like the right manager for Liverpool. And and I don't think in modern times we're going to see somebody take over a, a club for 20 plus years like what Ferguson did. But he definitely has this feel of you know he's married to this club, they're a perfect marriage together and it it's they allowed him to build it in his view and they gave him the time to do that as well. And that's something Liverpool's through uh, the the 30-year drought definitely did not do and they didn't have the ownership group that was stable enough uh, to allow this sort of a process to play out. Yeah, and I think the timing couldn't have worked out any better for Liverpool. I mean, obviously Klopp had success with Dortmund and, uh, you know, he won a couple of trophies there. He took him to the Champions League final in 2013. And then, you know, whether you agree or not, Dortmund made the change and he was available uh, and Liverpool scooped him up. He's a showman. He is a showman. He is a leader. He gets along with everyone. He just, you you get the understanding that he, he knows what it takes to win. And there was a feeling there, like, you know, when the season that Liverpool fired Brendan Rodgers, that summer they spent, I think it was around 70, 80 million on players. And seven games into the season, uh, they made the move to fire Brendan Rodgers. And I went back and I just went on YouTube because I wanted to see the reaction from some of the pundits over there in England. And it was Jamie Carragher specifically was stating how, Liverpool thought they were a big club, but the results weren't showing and they were turning into a selling club. And he kind of made the reference to, you know, kind of what Tottenham was for a while before they got to the Champions League final last year. Uh, But to go from a a selling club to a club who thought they were big, but weren't really. And then you bring in Klopp, who it seemed like the fans took to him right away. He had a vision. You know, that opening press conference, he was saying, you know, maybe in about four years we'll be Premier League champions. And, of course, his prediction was bang on. But they gave him the keys. Um, and whether it was getting a throw-in coach, uh, a fitness coach, like he got all of his players to memorize all the staff, the people who cook for the players. Like he just kind of created this bond around them. And that was back in 2015. So it took a little bit of time. Um, but he had a game plan. And obviously, it was a really good one. So it just, it's like he in, he embodied everything that Liverpool needed at that point in 2015. And I, I don't think the timing could have worked out better. He was exactly what they needed. And who knows how long he's going to be there. But uh, he's, he's, you know, in a four or five year span, he has done so much for that club already. Yeah, and it, the confidence of, of not only Klopp but the club um, to to go into last summer after you know falling uh, short of Manchester City and not really make any significant additions in the transfer market. Uh, yeah, they were champions of Europe, but um, still, you know, a lot of clubs would would look at that and say we still have to you know go out and, and make the squad a little bit better or, or make some tweaks here and there, and and they didn't do that. They were confident in what they had. And also a lot of managers would be like, 
what the heck? You know, I, I, we just pulled this season off. Yeah. We, we win the, you know, European trophy. And we also, you know, we come just short of the Premier League title. And, and you're not going to, you know, continue to invest in this squad. You know, Antonio Conte or Jose Mourinho, they're, they're freaking out at ownership uh, two weeks into the season if that's a, that sort of thing happens. Um, but, but Klopp's just a different – he's a different cat, right? And, yep. and I think that's, that's a big part of this and, and those things that you mentioned too. Uh, but that's why I see this working out for, for a long while yet, because I, I don't see Jurgen Klopp uh, being the kind of um, manager that you know, will raise those concerns with, with those above him, ownership or otherwise. Uh, at least I don't see it from him. And, and his belief in himself uh, and, and the players he has available to him, uh, the, the academy as well, I think those are factors into why uh, I see this at least working out for another five or so years. Do they win multiple Premier League trophies? I don't know, but I definitely see a team uh, that is going to be not going away anytime soon uh, in, in Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. Well, and you you could see the progression too, right? Like when he took over, he he you know he. I don't know if he really asked for time to, you know, for him to build the squad, but he needed time. He could just come in there right away, snap his fingers and, and have a, a Premier League and Champions League caliber squad. It, it took some time. So 2016, they get to the Europa League final. They beat Dortmund on the way. They lose the final, but they get to a European final. They lose 2017. I think it was the second last game or the last game of the Premier League season where they clinched a berth in the Champions League the following year. And Liverpool gets that infusion of money. And what do they do that summer? They get Mo Salah, they get Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, they get Andy Robertson. So that that was kind of another step in Liverpool getting to where they are today. They begin the 17-18 season with the front three of Mane, Firmino, and Salah. So that was kind of an, another step they took. And then a year later, you had Ro, you know Robertson and Alexander-Arnold starting on the same uh, starting on the same starting eleven, and you have two of the best fullbacks in the premiership and then in 2018 van dyke comes in and then the champions league final in 2018 carius has one of like the worst goalkeeping games you can have in any big spot and after that what do they do they go out and they spend you know 60 70 million pounds on allison so um as as time went on and as he was building his squad he was you know Mane, Firmino, you know, those guys, you know, Liverpool weren't breaking the bank for those guys. They were breaking the bank for Van Dyke and Allison when they were, you know, one or two players away, when they realized they were that close to having a dominant team. And they just have such a good mix um, that his his vision, his press, getting his team to run, like he got everyone to buy in and he continues to do that. And that's why I think, you know, I, most of the players, Dan, are under contract for a little while longer. They might make a few mm -hmm. tweaks here or there in the summer. Uh, you know, they've been looking at a central defender, but, you know, that's why I think, I don't want to throw the word dynasty out there because I think it gets used way too much, but there could be a run of dominance here over the next two, three years because now it's incumbent on the rest of the teams underneath them, the Chelsea, Cities, the Uniteds to to get to Liverpool's level. I mean, I, I don't imagine they're going to be, I don't know if there's going to be a big drop off next, next season, considering how good they are. So now these other teams have to figure out a way to get to Liverpool's level. And that's a really, really high bar to reach. Yeah. And, and we see it with the gap this year. Uh, I will say, you know, 
the team is incredible right now, but it can change quickly. Uh, the, those front three, uh, Salah and, and Mane, they're, they're 28, so they're reaching their peak ages. Uh, they probably have another couple of really strong seasons, but strikers, you know, outside of, you know, Lionel Messi and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, they, they do tend to, to wear off uh, as they enter that age of 30. So there, there's going to have to be inevitable tweaks that they have to make and, and reinvestment. Uh, but what? who is their biggest challenger moving forward? It, it, to me, it's still Manchester City because of you know the, the sheer money that they spend. And you have the added wrinkle of maybe they're not playing Champions League for the next couple of years. So they're going to have their ultra focus on winning Premier League trophies uh, should they not even be able to compete in Europe the next couple of years. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's City. I think, you know, if they if they have a, uh, a proper group of central defenders who can, can find a way to stay healthy, then I don't think, you know, Liverpool's winning the season, you know, by 23 points with seven games to go. Like, I, I do feel these teams are probably a little bit closer than the standings would say, but... I mean, it just goes to show if you don't have strong, you know, if you have central midfielders playing central defense for most of the season in a league as good as the Premier League, you're going to get eaten alive. So the key for City next year is is how many central defenders can they get? And Koulibaly from Napoli, there's been uh, rumors of him going to City, um, but there's some other big clubs after him. So I'm not sure if they're going to get him, but they need one, maybe two central defenders. I think if they get that. You know, I've seen some Aguero to Inter Milan rumors. I don't know if he's leaving. I mean, I, I know Gabriel Jesus wants to play a lot more in that he's been frustrated. But if you add if you add a central defender or two and you have Jesus playing a full year, Aguero sticks around, they still have Phil Foden, Bernardo Silva, you know, they're still stacked. To me, it's it's Liverpool one, City two, and then there's, you know, it's Chelsea United. You know, what can Tottenham do next year if they're fully healthy? Um, but City, to me, under Pep. I think they're the clear, um, they're they're the clear team that's going to be trying to to get the title back from Liverpool. And the question I have is, if they do miss out on on Champions League for the next two seasons, uh, does Pep want to move on? Uh, does Kevin De Bruyne uh, say, uh, "I want to go to a Champions League club. I'm in the prime of yep. my career. Uh, do I do I really want to stay here?" Uh, and miss out of those those two seasons at a potential Champions League trophy. So there's those obvious concerns, I think, with City. Chelsea, I'm, it really intrigues me with the moves that they've already made this offseason, or not even offseason yet, but uh, Timo Werner, of course, Hakim Zayek uh, coming in over from Ajax. They want to get Ben Chilwell. They've got some really good young players. Christian Pulisic has been fantastic these last number of weeks. But uh, Chelsea is is probably next there. They're probably the most intriguing team. And, you know, Liverpool, if you contrast them to Manchester United over the last couple of years, and we've seen Liverpool make this build, and we talked about uh, some of the big signings that they made, and they really hit on those with Allison and Van Dijk and uh, building around Mane and, and Salah as well. But United have had a lot of misses on the transfer market. They've spent a lot of money. Um, Pogba hasn't worked out the way that anybody had planned. I still think he's a fantastic player, but it just has never really gelled the way that they had expected it to uh, for the money that they outlaid on that player. Um, Harry Maguire, they spent a ton of money there. He hasn't had the same kind of impact that Virgil van Dijk had uh, with Liverpool. Teams are out there spending money, but one of the big differentiators for Liverpool and these other squads is they've spent their money smarter. 
And yeah. that's yeah. that's the big thing about Liverpool and their potential at at a multiple Premier Premier League trophies these next few years. Well, yeah, and they're like, I mean, they chased Van Dyke for how long, right? I mean, that yeah. saga felt like it was a couple of years running, but there was a reason, right? Like Klopp recognized that they needed a stalwart at center back, and it took 70 million euros and a lot of time to get him signed, but they got him in January 2018. Like Allison really only had, I think, one full season with Roma before Liverpool came calling. And they, they, Liverpool was comfortable enough to give out, you know, to, to pay over 70 million for a goalkeeper who had one really good year with, you know, a good Serie A team. I mean, those are things you don't see very often. United splashed 50 million for Fred and they splashed 30 million for Lindelof. And um, they, it feel, feels like they make panic, they have been making panic buys. Yeah. For players who are good, but maybe just don't fit their system. Like Klopp recognizes what he needs. He identifies the player. He gets his board to okay, um, you know, the, the the money they need. And away they go. With other teams, it's not as simple. It's whether whether it's a, it doesn't fit tactically or it's, it's just a panic buy. United has had a problem with that for years and years and years. So that's why I'm really intrigued to see who exactly Klopp targets uh, this offseason, if they target, um, you know, many players, just a few players, how, how much money are they willing to spend? Maybe they need another striker. That's something that's been talked about. But he just gets it, right? And, like, Liverpool just puts all their confidence in him and understands he's not a coach. He's a manager. Like, he takes care of so much in that club, and that's what makes him so good. Yeah, and uh, one potential uh, – Worry, I guess, for, for Klopp next year might be the Africa Cup of Nations. If they do play it in January, you would yep. have Salah, Mane, and, and Nabi Keita all, all heading out for, for a period of time during a very important part, stretch of the season. So there is those concerns. My final point on this before we get to our, our, our big interviews of the week, what makes Liverpool so impressive to watch for me, and it really is kind of something that is changing around uh, the modern game in, in the top European leagues, but... Their dominance is is a product of the collective, you know. Even the goals this year uh, and the last couple of years, they're really spread out, right? They don't have uh, generally one guy finishing off every move, uh, and they have uh, both wingbacks in in Robertson and and Alexander Arnold that are picking out passes as if they were Andrea Pirlo playing fullback. It's really uh, something that. I think that's why people have, even if you're not a fan of Liverpool, you've come to appreciate them so much. The work rate yeah. and and the collective that brings this squad amongst uh, the most fun to watch that that I can remember in my lifetime. Yeah, they they. It's a good point. They find different ways to win, right? If you go back to that, remember that Champions League game where they. They, it's uh, I think it's the Champions League semifinal 2018. They go to Barcelona. They lose three nil. They mm-hmm. come back to Anfield, and no one is giving them a chance in hell of winning that tie. And what do they do? They win four nil on two goals from Divock Origi and Georgino Wijnaldum. And you remember that that the the corner kick from Trent Alexander Arnold. 
the yeah. quick corner. And I think that was the fourth goal. Like, I think that was the clinching goal. So, you know, they paced Barcelona by four goals, getting two goals apiece from Wijnaldum and Origi. You know, the game they beat City this year, um, I think it was at Anfield, you had Salah, Firmino, and Mane all winning early. I think it was in November. Um, and they also got a big point early, I think, at Manchester United. I, and it was Adam Lalana. I think, came on as a second-half sub, and it was like a 1-1 game. They just find they just find different ways, like set pieces, corner kicks, uh, building up an attack. Like they're just they are loaded. They are as as complete a package as you're going to find. And again, looking at the the ages of these players and looking at their contracts and the fact that they're probably going to spend at least a couple more years together, it's a big it's a very big problem for the rest of the teams in the league that they're going to have to try to dethrone uh, what has become a juggernaut of English football. Yeah, you, you know Jurgen Klopp's done something right if I'm speaking positively about uh, about <laughs> Liverpool. So uh, congrats to them. Congrats to all you Liverpool fans out there as well. Uh, very impressive season. Impressive couple of seasons. And we'll see where it continues to go from here. We are uh, really getting close now. Uh, July 8th is when MLS is back. Will get underway in Orlando despite coronavirus concerns uh, in Florida. Uh, the tournament as of right now is continuing to go on and early reports coming out of the bubble are positive that players do uh, and clubs do feel safe there. Um, July 9th is when we'll see the first Canadian teams playing with Montreal and Vancouver both underway on Thursday, July 9th. Friday, July 10th is when Toronto FC will get their first match going uh, against D. United and now joining us uh, here on a kick in the grass is Toronto FC manager Greg Vanny. Thanks for this, Greg. How are you? My pleasure. Uh, doing well. Um, you know, staying busy over here, getting the group ready for for Orlando, but we're we're all doing well. How, how have you been? Uh, family and everyone uh, dealing with pandemic life, all right? Yeah the uh, the house has taken a beating just because with our four kids, three of them being young boys, they're. They have soccer practices going on in all the different rooms on Zoom, and uh, then there's soccer tennis in the afternoon and all kinds of stuff. So school in between all of that. So we've we've managed to stay busy in a in a different way and keep them busy, which has been nice. Um, but everybody's doing well. Everybody's staying healthy, and uh, you know it's nice to see some of the some natural life coming back uh, into into play, and people generally are are staying safe and healthy out there in in society. So. In, in Canada, anyway. Yeah, I know that's going to be the difficult thing for me is that uh, just kind of the hours I work, I don't, I got two young kids and I see them for a little bit in the morning and then I see them for a little bit when I come home. Uh, and that's been the one nice thing about just staying home for, for these last four months is, is, be, is seeing them all the time. And in your case, uh, that's going to change because you guys are going to be leaving for Orlando in a couple of days. So um, a little bittersweet in that sense. I mean, have you, have you gotten used to just kind of being at home all the time, like all of us. Yeah, we've uh, you know the the busy life of of I guess of a coach has changed from being at the facility all the time to being at home and being busy with the kids, still trying to fit in the soccer side of things. It's going to flip flop now. My life, my family life is going to go on to Zoom, and my work life is going to go on to sort of to real life, and so. Um, that will be different, but I've, we've enjoyed this time as a family because, uh, when, when we didn't have this, obviously, and you guys know, we're just, we're on the road a lot. We're traveling, we're 
all in on on trying to help the club out and everything else. So it, it will. It's been nice, uh, unfortunate in the circumstances, but nice to be around the family. And obviously, things will will take an adjustment here in a week or so. Yeah, it's uh, it's been nice. Um, I, I got to catch up a lot on uh, on some old World Cups and, and Euros and, and watching those kinds of things. But we've ha- we have had soccer come back in in Europe uh, over the last little bit. Bundesliga obviously starting a while back, but now pretty much all the top leagues there in Europe are going. Uh, what have you made of of the return to to soccer? Is there any takeaways you've had so far? Well, it's been, I mean, part of it's been interesting to watch games without fans and, you know, early days, there was no crowd noise. Now they sort of manufactured a crowd noise in the back, but just the, you know, um, watching the environment without sort of that feel of the energy of, of the stands and all that, and just and kind of listening a little bit to, to what's going on in the field. It's stuff that we're used to from the training grounds, but I think as a general fan, you're not always used to getting such uh, that kind of information or that kind of feel to to the actual on-field communication. So that was interesting. I think, you know, early on, the teams that that had a lot to play for were more prepared when they came back. The teams who maybe had a little less to play for, not so much. Uh, I think that's played out a little bit over this, over this stretch. But uh, in general, I think, you know, the teams have um, – it's been nice to, to watch live games again and, and games that are, you know, obviously current and, and all that. So uh, we'll take away, you know – some things we, we're going to have really different circumstances, obviously playing down in Orlando and the weather and, uh, and all that, but our guys have, have been hot, really on it and staying prepared and staying engaged during this whole process. They've been great. And so uh, I'm really comfortable with where we're at in terms of our training camp and preparation for, for the event. So that that's been good for us. Greg, you guys are going from a scenario where, you know, here in Ontario, we've been uh, recording, you know, under 200, cases a day for the last little bit the numbers keep trending down and obviously you're going from um one end of um i guess i'll I'll, you know you're going to a quite the extreme in going down there in in orlando so can you kind of give us a sense from yourself and the team how you guys are are feeling about the bubble i'm sure you've combed over the health and safety document um and like you were saying i believe san jose was one of the first teams to get down there so you might have a bit of an idea of what to expect when you arrive there though but how confident are you the bubble is going to work and is there is there going to be a lot of pressure on your shoulders to make sure that your guys and the staff are all kind of adhering to what they're supposed to when you guys get down there yeah i would I would say there's there's a, a level of confidence that we have, but I would be lying if I say there isn't some sort some concern within uh, our greater group that um, of just what's going on around the complex and making sure that the bubble is as, as safe as possible. And you know, I, I'm really confident in our group. We've seen that for ourselves through this process here and how our guys have been diligent about. Uh, respecting the, um, the social distancing, respecting the quarantine, not not being out in places they shouldn't been. And we've done a good job of that as a team. Now we can control ourselves down there and we need to continue to do that. And I will keep that messaging, but we can't control what anyone else is doing. And so we've got to make sure that, you know, we stay within our group, not go out, you know, gallivanting with teams and other teams and other players, all things that we've been talking about. And especially today, we talked about it. We've got to control ourselves the best we can in order to keep our bubble within the bubble as tight as possible. Um, and that'll be a constant theme for us. Um, but I think, like I said, I think there's there's a level of confidence or else we would, be, we would 
you'd hear a lot more about us going down, but but there's concern and, and we got to control what we can control, which is ourselves and our group and our team and try to keep ourselves as, uh, as safe as possible. I imagine you've you've had to talk through that with with your players a lot. Just the, you know, of course, there's there's a physical concern, you know, getting everybody match fit, but the the mental aspect of of everything that's going on as well. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I uh, I'll give a lot of credit to our our team doctors, uh, Iris Smith, and then all of our medical staff have been great. Our guys have been able to get information quickly, um, and we've they've been on top of it uh, during this whole time. Um, and so, you know, I think from a concern standpoint and the mental aspect, I think our, our group is excited to get down and compete as a whole. And it's another tournament and a chance to, uh, to pick up more points for league, a chance to win this tournament with, uh, you know, some, uh, champions league spot on the line, different things that, that we're always trying to compete for. So there's, there's that level of, uh, just excited to get back onto the competitive field again. Uh, but there's always, you know, there's always going to be that part that we've got to remain diligent and and we've got to support each other and we've got to stay stay tight and and as a group and uh, and keep the mental aspect strong because it, like any tournament, uh, even if you're in a World Cup, one of the hardest things about a World Cup is being together for four, five, six weeks and uh, sort of in a lockdown sort of scenario. This being a little more extreme, obviously, but um, our group gets along really well. We've got to we, they, the guys get along. They enjoy each other. So, again, I think if we can keep that bubble tight and support each other, we'll be in a good way. So your three games are set, D.C., Montreal, and New England um, are what you guys are going to be you know, facing yeah. down there. And you got two 8 o'clock games and, of course, that one 9 a.m. game against the Revolution, which is the last group stage uh, mm -hmm. match for you guys. So can you give us any insight at all to how you prepare for a 9 a.m. kickoff? Are you up at 3.30 in the morning? getting ready for that game. Do you have that planned out yet? Yeah, you know, we do have it mapped out and we're actually uh, we're actually doing a scrimmage at, at BMO Field on Wednesday at 9 a.m. So uh, we're, we're going to map it out and try, trial it here. It's not exactly the same, but pregame meal for guys usually is going to be around 5.30, uh, which is not, uh, not ideal. Um, but we're we're gonna just we're gonna try to be as as prepared as we possibly can for that type of thing. It's not so dissimilar from a, a training start time for us. We we typically will right. start training at ten, so it will have a feel of that. It's just the preparation that goes before a game that's not the same necessarily specifically for training, but it's close. So we'll uh you know we'll be as prepared as as we can, and we're gonna trial it this week so the guys have some sense and some feel for for what that's like. Um, but that, that will be an interesting one, no matter what that's, we were hoping to avoid that. We thought we were maybe going to, and then in the end we didn't. So, uh, we'll deal with it and, uh, we'll try to be prepared for it. Is, is there anything you'll have to tweak, um, due to, you know, lack of match fitness, fitness and, and, uh, sharpness with the group? I don't, I don't know if there's anything we'll, we'll tweak for, for that. I mean, we, we've. Our guys, we feel like we're pretty good. I, I think what we're going to encounter that is going to be most unique is just the heat and humidity of Southern Florida and uh, at this time of year. Um, and I think we have to be really, really diligent and smart about how we prepare for this tournament tactically. Uh, I think we've got to really concentrate on, you know, taking care of the ball. Um, the game can't be so fast. You know, the risk reward sometimes we're going to need to to manage that a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of how much we press and how much we try to just stick together and control the tempo of games, things like that are all things we've been working on and talking about. And 
we don't want the we don't want these games to be end line to end line you know fast attack here recovery defending there we we want to try to to keep uh, good control of it so these are these are things that we've been talking about a lot working on um, and it's a lot to manage just the conditions as much as anything uh, try to force the opposition to have to to work harder than you and and you know and then you, you can wear them down because it's it's no matter what what anyone thinks whether you play at 10 o'clock at night eight o'clock or nine in the morning it's still going to get to you. Um, and the one thing I like a little bit about our draw is that, you know, three of our teams are coming from the North. So it's not like we're going to have a, between the three of us, we're going to have a ton of exposure to that type of weather. We're all going to be adapting when we get down there. Um, but that, that for me is going to be the biggest, the biggest challenge from a fitness standpoint. I think we're in a pretty good spot. Um, and from a sharpness, I actually feel like the process we've gone through has been, been pretty good but we're gonna have to manage some some unique obviously weather circumstances well and i want to ask you about your squad and greg and specifically squad rotation it's the one luxuries that you have you have a very deep team a good mix of of youth and and veteran you have a couple guys coming off injuries but it seems like everyone's pretty much healthy right now so do you do you kind of game plan for rotating your squad in these three games or does it really depend on how the results go but yeah, I'm looking at, at options to and ideas to do that. Um, you know, one of the things that as the tournament has transitioned into this new version, not what we originally thought was which is going to be uh, more more uh, group games. Now we have three group games. They're spread out a little bit more, so I think the group has chance to recover. But we still want to look at at some rotations. Uh, we do feel like we have a, a deep group. The other thing we're going to take it our deep team, I should say. Uh, the other thing that we we're going to take advantage of is the five substitutions. Uh, I think we're going to be able to um, to really impact games with the guys that we have that we choose to bring off. Whether we rotate a group and then bring a, bring some of our more experienced guys on to to impact the game, or vice versa. But we think we have a lot of weapons that we can uh, that we can utilize during the course of this event that will play a big part in this. So we're we're looking again looking forward to that, and I think. Um, all of our guys need to be ready to contribute on this so in this event. So it, it should be interesting. And some of our young guys, I'm, I'm really pleased with the way they've come back and come out of this uh, this pandemic break, if you will, and the way they've prepared themselves. And, and I think some of them are going to play a role uh, in, a, in maybe a significant role in this event. How do you um, manage the tournament aspect in comparison to just uh, MLS regular season? Uh, how does yeah. it change your your philosophy as as manager going into it? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean, we obviously these first three games in the group play, um, we're playing for both. We're playing for league points and we're playing for survival to get into the knockout round. Um, we will, we're going to play them to, to take points, especially the first two games. We need to try to establish ourselves. If we get to a third game, uh, where we're into the next round, then, you know, we'll reassess where we're at physically. We'll reassess where we're at in terms of the points we've acquired, stuff like that. Um, but our, our objective there is to go and take as many points as we can in, in for a league play as well. And if we do that, then we will set ourselves up obviously to then to go after the, uh, um, the knockout round and the championship. So um, it, we're going to approach it as a league, a league fixture results or, or event to start. And then we'll get into the knockout when we get there, but we got to get ourselves there first. So, Greg, I want to ask you about Pablo Piatti. It, just kind of two questions. Yep. One, how is he doing physically? How is he looking in training? And two, obviously, you know, when you guys were interested in him, um, you had a, 
kind of a game plan of, of what you thought would be the best way to, to put him on the field and what formation to get the best out of him. But now that he is here and he is he's back to training and he's healthy, um, has that changed at all? Do you think maybe you can use him a slightly different way or what you guys have seen is kind of what you expected when you were, you know, putting forth this plan to, to try and sign Pablo and bring him to Toronto? Yeah, he's uh, in terms of physical, uh, the physical side, his recovery um, from the hamstring injury and all that has been good. He looks physically good. He's uh, he's trained every day since we've returned back from this quarantine break. He's you know, we've played a couple 11 v 11s. He's he's been good uh, in terms of physical. He's been good in terms of his 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 approach to the games. What part of what he's going through right now is just establish, and we are with him is establishing his relationships with with his teammates on the field and us getting used to you know what it is he's exactly going to bring to our group. And I think with each of these with these two eleven v elevens that we've played recently, we've we've established a better sense of that. Um, he's developing a really nice relationship with with Pozuelo, which isn't surprising, and. Uh, and with Aro and and uh, we used him a little bit more on the right this this last uh, this last day instead of the left, which is where we thought we might use him. And uh, him being able to come in on his left foot, it was a was an interesting twist for us. Um, so there there's there's different things. He's he's a versatile player, so we can use him in an experienced player, so we can use him in different ways and and find different uh, relationships on the field that, that makes sense for us. But I thought, you know, the other night when we did that, that was an interesting little twist and those guys really kind of fell in seamlessly with one another. So, um, you know, we hope to keep, keep building up his fitness and his sharpness within the group and, uh, developing his relationships so that he can feel as comfortable as possible when we get down there. That's, that's interesting in the sense of, you know, usually this time of year you are you have a pretty good sense of what your team is. Maybe you're going into the transfer window thinking about some tweaks that you might be making, um, but because of everything that's happened and the pause on the season, you're going to be taking in a lot of information on, on just what your squad is, is looking like game to game uh, as you get into this. Yeah, I mean, our, it's true. Our, our transfer window this year is getting Michael Bradley back uh, healthy, and, and he's played like Pablo, he's played every minute since we get back and getting Pablo into into the mix. And obviously we know what Michael brings to the equation, but adding adding Pablo is a is a new player for us. So um, you know, we'll we will even from what our first two games were from the season, we're gonna have a slightly different look and some different uh weapons, I guess you would say, um, at our disposal as we go into this event. So we're excited about it. We we feel like we have good depth and you guys mentioned that earlier and we have a lot of options and guys who play the same positions but play them in different ways and and that for me is really uh interesting and unique um for us to be able to show different things to top positions and i think two players who fall under that criteria is richie larea marky delgado both signed new contracts last week maybe just a couple of words greg on those two um how they have have, have you know become steady mls players already and and kind of where you see their progression going what type of a season do you think those two specifically can have for your team this year yeah, I'll, I'll start with uh, Marky. You know, he he he's younger than probably most people give him credit for. You know, he's just turning yeah. 25 and has played a ton of games and minutes and won championships for us. And and for me, he's one of the real real unsung heroes of our group and in midfield and our midfield and with our front group that we've had over the years. You know, he's a guy that. Um, constantly finds himself on the field and he he just plays so simple and so fast and gets those guys 
who are our difference makers in a lot of ways, the, the ball at the right time and the right place for them to do what they do. And he doesn't, there, he, he doesn't take time away from anybody on the field. He actually gives his time to people because his ability to play in one touch and two touch and his awareness on the field and recognizing how to balance certain situations. And he gives us unselfish running. And uh, so he, he does a lot of things that really, in, in ways, make our team tick and, and give the guys who we all expect to, to really make the big difference in, in many of these games, he gives them the opportunity to do so. Uh, and I think his next step is that he's going to start to find himself in, in positions and ways to be one of those guys who can make the difference. You know, he's found himself in those situations a couple of times didn't have the outcome that he necessarily wanted. Um, but I think that's something that he's going to continue to add to his game. I think he's going to add a little more final product, whether that be in the final pass. So instead of leaving the ball for pause to hit the final pass, he, he'll look for it himself at times. And I think that's what he's going to continue to add again as such a young player, but with a lot of confidence. The other thing he brings us is a lot of, a lot of fast transition and hard work in the midfield ground covering when it comes to the defending side. And, um, and he, he's continuing to get better as a defender and have more presence on the defending side. So he's still growing as a player and we're excited that, you know, he's going to be here for a long time. Uh, as far as Richie, uh, really, Richie was really a, a blessing for us last year. You know, we, we got him from Orlando, um, in a situation where he was without club, not really sure what was going to happen next. We brought him in on trial and we found a guy who was extremely athletic, highly talented, didn't really settle into a, into the midfield, which was his natural position. We spoke to him about trying him at right back and, and he was all in and uh, open to learning and eager to learn. And for me, he's he's developed into being one of the top right backs. I think we have the two right best right backs in the league. The hard part for me is getting him on the field at the same time. And so, <laughs> uh, but I do. I feel like you know, I, there's not two other right backs in the league I'd rather have on our team than Aro and Richie, and they play the position differently, um, but both yeah. really effectively. And so, uh, we love having Rich because he's he's um, he's continuing to learn and continuing to grow. And I think he's going to be, uh, one of the greats, uh, the great right backs to be in this league. And so, um, we're really excited that he's, you know, chosen to stick with us a little longer and keep, keep building. And, uh, now it's my job to make sure that, that he has the opportunities to continue to, to show what he's, what he's capable of doing and give him those opportunities to continue to learn. Greg, uh, it's been a pleasure catching up and uh, getting to see how you guys are setting up for the MLS's back tournament. Thanks for uh, thanks for making the time today. Be safe, be healthy, and uh, safe travels to to Orlando. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Anytime. There is uh, Toronto FC manager Greg Vanny. We will continue the coaching talk with Mark DeSantos, manager of the Vancouver Whitecaps. A big job ahead for him as they continue their rebuild how he's prepping for MLS's back that's next on a kick in the grass back in on a kick in the grass you heard from Greg Vanny manager of Toronto FC and now we welcome in Dan Riccio and Alex Xero welcoming in Vancouver Whitecaps manager Mark DeSantos to the conversation as they get ready for MLS is back. Uh, thanks for this, Mark. How are you? Very good. And you guys? Uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for making the time for us today. It's uh, certainly been a, a wild time. How are you? How's, how's family? How's everything? It has been wild. Different world we live in. 
uh, even you know on the soccer side and everything you have to plan the type of training sessions that now are more are all realistic but everything you do in the facility you know people walking around with masks and so many rules it's just a different world we live in uh, but we're all good you know we, we want to follow the rules we want to do what's right my family is good they're they're in montreal right now uh they left to montreal while i'm uh, heading to to orlando for yourself mark what would you say was the best thing about quarantine and what would you say was maybe the most difficult thing about quarantine the best thing is uh by far by far pole position but like 35 seconds in front of the second driver was, was the was the time I spent with my kids because I in the last three years I, I I missed maybe two full years of my kids of traveling not being there being in San Francisco LA the first part in Vancouver and now I got to learn about them and uh, and that was by far the best part the worst part is I'm a very warm person you know i like to hug friends i like to, to to put my arm around players and i i i have to change that that side but hopefully it's gonna get back to normal because if i have to coach like that for two three years i won't coach anymore <laughs> it's uh you since taking over Vancouver, uh, you you've been working pretty much around the clock to to rebuild this club. In in your view, um, has has it been nice to kind of recharge the batteries at home a little bit? Yeah, it's been it's been nice. The thing is, it's not a real sabbatical period because everything changed. Uh, you know, when you go on vacation somewhere. You could go out to the restaurant, to the beach, you know, and you can't call a quarantine a vacation. So it's it was kind of it was kind of weird that period. You're you're in a in a break that you don't want. Uh, but but I got to read a lot. I got to watch a lot of games of teams that I I like to watch and teams that that I wanted to get some principles from them and went back and downloaded some games of last year and watched them. So that was a good part in the, the quarantine. Uh, but again, hopefully the, the world's going to get back to normal uh, soon. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Is there is there a danger of maybe overanalyzing given all the time you had off? I know you guys only played two games yeah. before the break, but it's it sounds like for you it was the opposite and you took advantage and, and perhaps uh, learned quite a bit with all that the time you had. Look, we, we, we spent some time on the Portland tournament, on the Kansas City game and the LA Galaxy game. We spent some time on it and then we got we took a lot of clips from the four different moments of our game and um, examples that were good, examples that were bad. Once we dealt with that, we stopped because there's you can't change that anymore. You know, you analyze, right. you take the minutes, you go through. And then I started to watch more teams that I wanted to learn from, and I want. I felt that a lot of their principles were similar to what we want to build here and what we want to do here. And then we continued focus on, like you said, the, the the rebuilding that we're in a stage right now in a very good position where we have a very young roster, hungry roster with players that have the profile that 
we want closer to the profile that we want very energetic dynamic uh endurance uh, player uh players that have the ability to 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 press to close down and that have that energy to do it so we focused a lot on profiling reevaluating our current roster because the build up is not done yet we're still pieces away and we're focusing on looking at some other players and seeing what are the best opportunities in the window so that's been our work uh since the the galaxy game how do you analyze uh for, in, in that sense you know because usually at this time of year you're you have a pretty good sense of of what your team is and where you're you'll need to make some adjustments uh heading into the window um but you have so little to go on with what your new roster looked like and the relationships that we're building within the team. How do you, how do you go about assessing what you have available to you? It's so, it's so the, the, how can I say this? The, the complicated part of all of this, it's that it's so simple. And when I first spoke with Axel and we met and we started to work together, it was clear in our head what we wanted to do so it's based on our model of play and i believe that we have and how we want to play and what type of brand we want to bring to vancouver and have in vancouver so we divide our our, our game in four important moments when the team has the ball when the transition from there when we don't have the ball the transition uh, from the moment that we 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 win the ball in all those moments we have principles written and for that you need a type of profile, a type of DNA. So it's very clear for us to look at a player. And again, I we've seen good players that technically they were good, that they have good ability, good last pass. But unfortunately, they didn't have the DNA of the intensity and the work and the mentality that we want. So we didn't go after them. So when you have a clear model and you, you just follow it and you're 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 almost blind in the way that you want to pursue it it makes everything clear when you're looking at at players and you feel it right away this guy fits this guy doesn't fit and this is why we've been looking at also clubs that have this type of dna and profile and you know in europe i'll give you just a little example with the new york uh, the sorry the new york red bull and leipzig and the the red bull group where it's very clear the profile when you look at all of their teams and how they play. This is an example, and this is not in a Red Bull way, but this is what we're trying to to do here. Mark, I wanted to ask you about the the bubble in Orlando that you guys are going to be going to in a couple of days. And I know San Jose got there last week. I think it was Wednesday, and I think Orlando City got there a day later. And just kind of seeing some of the quotes from some of the players, they they all seem to say it's very safe and they're kind of enjoying the environment down there. Have you got any feedback from maybe those two teams, or you know someone who yeah. knows someone on those clubs and and on what the experience is like to maybe help you understand what you guys are going to get into when you when you fly in in a couple of days? Yeah, I spoke with some people that are over there. And uh, for me, it makes me feel that if that bubble was in Dubai, we wouldn't feel that we're in Dubai. You know, I think that it's really, I know a lot of people speak about being in Florida in the state, the actual state of Florida right now, and numbers are ramping up. But at the end of the day, it's so close. It is really a bubble. And it's so 
secure and protected and that the chances of it's maybe safer than BC. That bubble is maybe safer than Vancouver today. Hmm. Uh, so that's the feedback I'm getting. Now, with that being said, the risk of somebody testing positive or something happening in the current world we, we live today, nobody could bet that that cannot happen. But you cannot get more secure than that, in my opinion, and from what I'm listening from other people that are there. I imagine you know there's concerns amongst players, staff. I mean, how do you yeah. how do you talk through that uh, with I, with your squad? I uh, I tell them the truth. You know, I one thing that I cannot lie to the players is facts. If a player comes to me and says, "But Mark, look at the numbers in Florida. I'm concerned. They're ramping up. My family's concerned." I can't look at him in the eyes and say, "No, but that's not true." No, because it is. It's a fact that that is happening in Florida. Now, what I could tell them is we have pictures, we have messages from other coaches that are there, from players, and I share that with the players that are more concerned. It's more for the players that are more concerned. Uh, But again, everybody is different. I don't have concern on going there. My wife and kids don't have concern of me going there. But I have to respect the families that are concerned, the players that are concerned, because we're all different. Now, what I could say is the bubble we're in is not Florida. It's in Florida, but it's not Florida. I give the example to to my brother this morning. It's like in, in my house, all the rooms are a mess, but my living room is really clean. It's still my house, but it's different, you know? So I... I just think that it's very, it's, uh, it, it's very unique, but I have to respect the players that are still afraid a little bit, still doubting and still uh, questioning a lot of things over there. I have to respect that. Mark, let's talk about the tournament because you made some comments last, last week suggesting you think these games are going to be open. You think there's going to be a lot of goals and you guys came into the MLS season with the, I believe, the youngest squad, one of the youngest squads in the league. We know how hot it's going to be and, and you guys have, you know, three uh, 7.30 Pacific time games uh, for your group stage. So having that young squad and needing a physically fit squad to play these games um, in the conditions that you're going to, is that, you know, one of the advantages you think could help you guys get out of the group and make some noise here? I think that for sure, having a dynamic fit team, the the teams that are going to arrive there with the highest level of fitness are going to have a better chance of succeeding. That that what does that mean? It depends on points or or qualifying, but you have to arrive there for sure with very high levels uh, of fitness um, because uh, July and August are the the worst months in Florida, the, the most humid, hot. Regardless, you know, saying that we play at seven thirty uh, at ten thirty at nine or nine a.m. in in the morning, it's it's really. A slight differences in in the temperature, but the main the main thing it's it's going to be very humid, very hot. And when I said that, I think there's going to be a lot of goals and it's going to be open. I don't think we're going to see that in the first fifty minutes, first sixty minutes. But then at minute sixty, I think the teams are going to be very stretched. 
uh, not as compact, more space, and that's going to allow for much more opportunities. Is that is there anything you've noticed from the return of football in Europe that you think um, will start will show itself uh, in the MLS's back tournament? Look, just to before I answer that question, uh, just to go back to to my last answer, if you guys look at a World Cup match when it gets to overtime, the games that get to overtime, how it seems slower, more open. Uh, th that That's how I see minute 60 yeah. uh, in uh, in Orlando because of the heat. And because of, you know, the majority of the teams are going there without playing an exhibition game. Our last game was, it's going to, when we're going to play Dallas, our last game is going to be four months ago without playing an exhibition game. So that it's going to be new and challenging. Um but when it comes to what was your next point? Sorry, I got into that that overtime one. Is there anything Sorry. you've seen in, in the, oh yes in, yes in yeah. Sorry, yeah. the the thing with with I I have a lot of people asking me about yeah in Europe they play in Germany they start, and I have friends in Portugal. I'll tell you this, it's you can't compare what's gonna happen with MLS. And in that tournament, with anything that's been done, that has been done in Europe, because I think Portugal gets in only the province of Quebec, if I'm not mistaken, at least 30 times. Um, the teams travel by bus. Uh, they 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 go back home. The players. It, it's a total different mindset and everything. We're going inside a bubble. And we're going inside that bubble where the 26 teams are going to be there. Games every day is similar to a World Cup mode. So are we looking at that game, at the games in Europe and saying it could have similarities to MLS and what's going to happen in MLS? I don't think so. I think it's a very different type of setup, different type of tournament. I really see it more as what could happen during a World Cup and it could be more similar to a European Championship or World Cup than uh, any type of games that are being played in Europe right now. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and, and based on that, you know, with the way you, th you know, you think these games are going to go and with the, the, the tournament style format you're about to embark on, do, do you think you're going to have to manage differently in terms of subs and formation and depending on what team you're playing? Or are you going to try to just stick with, with what's worked over your career? Look, I'll, uh, I'll, I've been in tournaments like that in Brazil, the Copa São Paulo twice, the, the Copa of Brazil once. And it's, it was this type of format, one month and a half, uh, every team playing. And it is a little bit different in the sense that in a long season, you talk about depth, you talk about using every player. And, and when you go to a format of uh, like that, even if you look at, again at a World Cup, club, uh, team, uh, countries normally use, what, 15, 16 players. The 11 starters are always very similar. There's very little rotation, a lot of recovery, uh, and very little training sessions. Um, so a lot of the work that is done tactically is through video. Um, it is different. The setup is different. For me, what's going to be very important as a coach are two things. How am I going to deal with this new thing for me that is the five subs? 
it's new for me. I'm going to I'm going to gain experience with it. I'm thinking a lot about it and now I could use it and now we could use it, but it's going to be new. The second thing is in our model we want to be an aggressive team and the way we showed it against the galaxy it's what we want to be more consistently. Now in Orlando it's going to have to be very clear with the players the references of when and how we're going to do it. Because if we try to do that at, at every moment, again, what's going to happen is we're going to become very stretched early in the game um, because of the level of, of humidity and heat there. So the two main things that I, I'm focusing on right now is really being clear with those references and, and trying to plan and think very clearly about how those five subs are going to work in a game. You think you'll uh, go for the the full change, five subs at once, as we've seen a couple managers do? I don't know. In our group, you know, there's somebody that asked me like last week, yeah, but if you're 4-0 up, you know, maybe five subs. Dallas, San Jose, Seattle, Vancouver. It's an incredibly balanced group. Uh, Games that are going to be very tight between all of us. All of us could finish first in the group and all of us could finish last in the group. So I don't see any team being here in rotation because they're up 5 nothing. And you have um, Lucas Cavallini, of course. Uh, he was the big signing in the offseason. Um, he's had a couple of months to stew on that, that penalty miss against the Galaxy. Um, h- how do you get him? Uh, because... That was one of the big goals, I, I would imagine, for the season is getting him up to speed and, and having him be the, the finisher on this roster. Um, where is yeah. he at right now, and, and how do you feel about how he's integrated into the squad? Look, I'll, I'll say that the integration, it's too bad. And, of course, you guys would have loved that, but it's too bad you guys are not in training every day because it's, it's impressive to see him in training always at the fifth gear, incredible levels of intensity. Uh, If he plays the way he did against the Galaxy, that for me was probably one of our our best players, how he set the tone, how he he pushed our team to move forward and, and be aggressive. And then at the end of that process, another guy scores. That's what a team is about. And... Lucas had good chances. He had two against Sporting. One, he hits the post. The other one, Tim Milia make, makes a very good save that we could have tied 2-2 at minute, I think, 86 or 87. Then he has the penalty shot chance. So it's going to come for him. The goal is going to come. But the way he works for the team, the way he sets the tone, the, the way he helps other guys get free is first what we want from him. Then the goals. Uh, and and we're very happy with the way he integrated what he brings. He's a very, very important player for us, a player that the team needs. Uh, and again, you know, I think the goals are going to come naturally. If you look, guys, if you just look at the work of uh, Olivier Giroud with France that played every single game, then scoring the World Cup, and yet the, the France, France won the World Cup, or even... Look at Giroud again, again last week against Manchester City. What a good game he played! Then and Chelsea won the game. So, 
I think we have to look at a forward um, in the full 90 minutes of what he's bringing, what he's doing for the team. And then if the team wins with somebody else scoring, uh, that's what a team is about. But it's sad that too many people sometimes just look at numbers because they're lazy to look at games and they go and look at numbers and then they do a, a, an assessment from that. So if it was only for numbers, me, I would have been an expert for, for to comment curling. I never watch <laughs> curling, but I would study the numbers of curling and I would tell you, this team is good, this team is bad, you know. But we have to look at what the player gives on the field, man. And he's given until now everything that I've seen in him and everything that I want him to bring and the profile that I want to bring to, to Vancouver. Yeah, I think that's well said. I've seen Cavallini a couple of times play for the national team in Toronto, and he's a worker, right? I think it just speaks to everything you just said. He may not score in, in for 75 minutes while he's on the pitch, but he, I find he just never takes a shift off, and I imagine it's nice to have a player like that on your squad. Just, Mark, those two MLS games you played, what, what were your big takeaways from your team? I know it was a little while ago, but what stood out in those two results? Look, one, the first thing is if I divided you know, again, in, in how we divide our model in the four moments of the game, our, our defensive organization against Sporting Kansas City, yes, we were very close to each other. We were tight. The, comp, the block was compact uh, in our half, but we were not able to get in our half because of our level of pressures. And uh, the team and the commitment in that side, for some reason, wasn't at the level that we wanted. And we allowed Sporting to play too much, uh, to be too much on the ball, even if the ball possession percentage was not far from each other, but it was too much. Uh, and then you're always defending close to your goal. You're defending backing off. And that's what we that's not what we wanted to be about. So then we had a choice to make right after the Kansas City game. What do we want to be about? And everything we've worked in preseason that was lost in 90 minutes against Sporting Kansas City. We have to recover it right away. Yes, we were going to the Galaxy. Yes, there was a record crowd of more than 30,000 people. First game of Chicharito home. But we said, there's no way we're going to get away from what type of team we want to be about. And then when we went to, to LA, we pushed, we defended moving forward. We then back off. We, we closed them down. We closed them, the most important players down. Uh, we saw players that joined the team for that week and got in right away, like uh, Janio Bikel, uh, that he, he, he just knew that he was starting uh, in the flight going to, to L.A. because um, Jake Nerwinski got injured and we didn't want to, moved the process or speed the process up for Genio too fast. And he was uh, ready right away. He said, no problem. We showed him a lot of clips from Pavon in the flight at the hotel. And then he was ready to go. Leonard, Leonard Owusu came in well also in that game. Uh, the team showed the DNA that we're working on and we want to be about. Um, and, uh, and that's my biggest takeaways from the two games. Mark, there was a, a lot of um, negative reaction from the fan base with the news last week of, of Mark Panis uh, moving on. Um, 
Do, do you feel that there is now maybe extra pressure on, on you to get results at this tournament to help calm the concerns of supporters? So since I arrived, uh, there's been a lot of little stories like that off the field. You know, uh, last year, this year with with Mark, where, where maybe a group of fans, uh, I don't know, I, I it's not my, my place to, to really evaluate that, but show concern towards... Uh, the direction of the club and what I learned is there's always going to be a lot of noise outside our locker room uh, and not only if the team is losing also if the team is winning uh, the noise always comes up I think with social media today with 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 the dynamics that we live in in the new world of information it goes faster and there's things happen that are faster and there's a lot of opinions and what i've learned is i have to focus on the players we have the way we want to play our locker room it doesn't change for me the pressure of having to qualify or not what changes is it doesn't change the fact that i have to work hard with my players to get the best results possible i don't go to this tournament thinking about the firing or of Mark Panis. I don't do that. I go the same way I would have went from the start, focused on my players, focusing on the team, focusing on the process of making this club better every day. And that's my my passion. And, and that's my role in the club. Then there's other people that their role is to to explain these situations. And that's not me. Mark, uh, you've been so generous with your time today. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, safe travels to Orlando and best of luck. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you so much. There is Mark DeSantos, manager for your Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, coming up next, we get to all the stories that uh, we had not yet talked about here on A Kick in the Grass. It's injury time. Trouble at Barcelona. What's with that Pjanic and Arthur swap between Juventus and Barcelona as well? That's next on a kick in the grass. Final segment on a kick in the grass. Dan Richo and special guest co-host Alex Sixero at Dan Richo 650 is where you find me on Twitter. At AlexFan590 is where you can get him. Without further ado, let's get to injury time. The stories uh, we have not yet had a chance uh, to get to. And Barcelona, tough weekend for them. They draw with Celta, late goal uh, from Iago Aspas, uh, had them settling for a 2-2 draw. So now Real Madrid with a win over Espanyol, our sole top spot of La Liga, and reports this morning, Alex, that uh, the players at Barcelona aren't exactly getting along with manager Kike Setien, who took over in January, of course. What do you make of this? Well, it would make sense because they haven't looked like the Barcelona of old that I think we grew accustomed to, that we were spoiled to watch year after year after year. And perhaps 
a different manager, a different voice, uh, maybe a couple of different players coming in in the summer would kind of change that. I never thought Setien was going to be someone who was going to be in there for too long. And surprise, surprise, we're already getting rumblings that, uh, you know, he may be out. One, one interesting name that's still out there is Mauricio Pochettino. And I only mention him because being a Benfica supporter, there have been rumors from the Portuguese press that they are making, uh, and Luis Felipe Vieira, who runs uh, Benfica, he is making a legit strong push to try to sign Pochettino. It would be quite a step to go from Tottenham to Benfica. I have a hard time believing that, but I feel like Pochettino... Um, I don't know if he would be a perfect solution, but uh, I, I think he would. I think he would fit really well not only with Barca but in La Liga. So, I think someone like that, who's got you know a, a good history, solid history of winning, uh, is the type of manager they need right now. Yeah, they've got a lot of egos on that team, and uh, it doesn't seem like uh, they are really taken in uh, to Kike Setien on that. And. You know, you just look at Barcelona the last couple of years, even this year, uh, 273 million euros invested. Antoine Griezmann, Frankie de Jong, um, Martin Brathwaite, Neto, like none of those players started against Celta. I know de Jong is, is hurt, but like that's insane uh, to have that. Last year, Malcolm, Clement Langlet, like none of these players uh, that they've spent on the last couple of years are having any kind of an impact. Usman Dembele, Philippe Coutinho, Paulinho from a couple of years ago. What, what happened to all these players? They're all flops, and every summer yeah. they're spending over 100 million euros. It's just uh, their, their transfer dealings have been a disaster for numerous years now. And Real Madrid are getting it done with the, the uh, veteran Benzema and the veteran Sergio Ramos. And Benzema, again, looked incredible with an unbelievable back heel over the weekend. Well, they, yeah, so that's good. the thing. They, they've missed a lot. I mean, Coutinho, Griezmann this year. Um, you know, they, and they've, you know, I think I know their home form this year has been good, but I think they played like 16 road games. They won six of them. Yeah. So Madrid key seems to be getting better and they seem to be getting worse. Um, and considering they have a financial issue and they don't have a lot of money to spend, that's a problem. When you're spending a lot of money on guys who don't work and then you get to a point this summer where you don't have a lot of cash in the bank and you need to go get players, that's not great. No. And it's uh, it's really compounding right now, and uh, they're they're still relying on Luis Suarez and, and Lionel Messi to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Gerard Pique, of course, Sergio Busquets. I mean, it seems like they've had the same core forever and just haven't been able to add to it with younger players. Uh, speaking of Barcelona, it looks like uh, the Miralem Pjanic and Artur swap will be official in the coming days. This one puzzles me. I'm pretty happy as a Juventus fan. It seems like a yeah. quality swap for, for Juventus, but a uh, bit of a head-scratcher. It seems like uh, Juve taking advantage of Barcelona's financial issues. Yeah, and it, se it seems like Barca's been after Pjanic for uh, for a while now, so it seems like they've had interest in him. And, and you know, maybe I know they, they're taking a lot of flack for why they would sell a 23-year-old and bring in a 30-year-old. But Pjanic does have a lot of history. He's got a lot of winning under his belt. And considering the type of transition they're kind of going through, I can sort of understand why they would do that. Maybe they just feel like he would he would be a, a good fit at this point. But I think Artur, I mean, you, you could speak more on this than I could, but with Maurizio Sarri, he kind of, you know, we saw it with Jorginho when he was with Napoli, and he just kind of likes that one player in the center of midfield to kind of dictate play. And it 
hasn't really worked out for Artur in Barcelona, but Sadi obviously fit, thinks that he can make it work uh, at Juventus. So Barca get the older player, they get an extra 10 mil, which they seem they need. But I think this is a really shrewd move for, for Juve. And I mean, do you think Artur is going to be someone who can just kind of go there in, in Juve and kind of fit in right away? Yeah, I think so. They, they they have also had some some failed signings. Uh, they were free, Adrian Rabio and and Aaron Ramsey. Neither of them have really worked out. Uh, right. So this is this is a big one. And Pjanic just hasn't had the same influence the last couple of years. So they really need to remake that midfield. And I think one of the reasons uh, Maurizio Sarri hasn't had a ton of success, even though it looks like they'll still uh, end up winning the Serie A title, is just that. Uh, he doesn't have the squad yet uh, built in his eye. So we'll see if uh, this move helps him get closer to that. Um, all right, final one. Bundesliga season is over. Uh, loved yes. seeing uh, Alfonso Davies celebrate uh, the, the Bundesliga title. Um, we've talked about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. But I think the big story is, uh, will Kai Havertz or Jaden Sancho be sold from their respective clubs in this transfer window? What do you think? Well, I think I think Havertz is going to be sold, and I think it's only because Leverkusen, I think by a couple of points, missed out on a Champions League spot. So, I I really believe Chelsea want him. I think Chelsea are going to get him. There appears to be maybe a fifteen to twenty million euro gap between what Leverkusen want and what Chelsea are prepared to offer. But um, that doesn't. I mean, it's. I think it seems like a big gap, but considering how young he is, and you know, I don't feel like Chelsea really have a player. You know that that you can put on the pitch like that kind of centralized attacking midfield player who's young and really i mean he's what 20 21 yeah. i think he doesn't you when i've only seen him a few times to be fair but he doesn't seem like he's a 20 year old kid like he seems like he's you know played at, at a top level for seven eight years so i think he's going to be sold i think chelsea find a way to get it done and if you put him in there then boy they they become even scarier sancho i think is different um, Dortmund seem to be valuing him extremely high, and I think rightfully so. I'm just not sure under this climate is anyone going to spend 100 and 110, you know, million pounds uh, on a very good player. Like I'm not sure United under this, um, you know, situation we're dealing with this summer with with everything being shut down. I just feel like maybe his valuation might be a little a little bit too high for teams. And there seems to be some rumblings there from the Dortmund CEO that Sancho has not stated that he wants to leave and seems happy there. So I think of the two, I think Havertz is more likely to go than Sancho. Yeah, if, I, if I'm Dortmund I'm and Sancho isn't you know begging for a way out, uh, you're you're probably want to give uh, Holland and Sancho one full season together yeah. and see and see what they can do um, on, on the fields. Um, Havertz, yeah, you're right. Uh, if they missed out on Champions League, I think that increases the probability that maybe he does move on this offseason. Um, Leverkusen, though, still looking for a big payday on that one. And again, shouts to the Bundesliga. They proved uh, professional team sports can come back and yes. exist during uh, the pandemic. So uh, I, I guess a thank you uh, to, to the the German League for uh, for allowing us to, to thank get you, Bundesliga. We love thank you. you. Bundesliga uh, and congratulations again uh, to Liverpool on their Premier League win Alex it's been a fun couple of weeks uh, we're expecting Jeff Blair back next week but uh, oh, thanks for this man nice all right no problem Dan appreciate it uh, it's been a kick in the grass on the Sportsnet radio network